Well, Psalm 12, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. To the chief musician on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear among the sons of men. They speak idly, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved congregation, Psalm 12 is a psalm of David that is believed to have been written during the reign of King Saul. It was likely written during a time when there was significant rise in many engaging in the sin of dishonesty, and therefore this time was matched by a decline in standing for and proclaiming the truth. This was apparent both in the king's court as well as among the people Again, trouble on every level. And this was understandably and rightfully troubling for David. As we look at it tonight, it's important to consider how words have meaning. Words can be powerful. And remember the old rhyme that many of us were taught as children, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Kids, do you remember that? Do you know that? Though we were taught that to fend off the attacks of bullies, maybe in our minds, it simply isn't true, is it? Words can be used to build one up, and they can also be used to tear one down. Compliments feel good when we hear them. Insults and belittling stings and hurts us. In our world today, we can attest to the power of words in a variety of of contexts and examples. We can quickly recognize propaganda as a powerful use of words. In times of war, well-crafted propaganda is used to convince or to persuade and weaken the enemy by turning the tide of support with words. And in our world, we can all too easily say that Propaganda isn't solely a part of war tactics today, is it? Propaganda is all over the place, in most public subjects, in some form or fashion, working to sway public opinion and the public's support of the power players' goals and objectives. And so here in Psalm 12, David 
was worn down by words. He was weary. He was worn down and weary from the state of men and the country around him. And yet he gives good words in hard times. He gives good words in hard times. Let's glean from David's words regarding the disappearance of the faithful in verses 1 and 2. God's words that he would arise and act in verses 3 through 5. And what is declared about the pure words of the Lord in verses 6 through 8. Look at where David begins in verse 1. In many ways, it's a familiar place as we've considered David's approach to God in other Psalms. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear among the sons of men. Now notice here how David's cry, and in that cry, he puts godly and faithful together when describing men of God. He puts them together. True godly men are faithful men. They are kind and merciful. They are faithful to their promises, faithful in their bonds, faithful to their Lord. David sincerely enjoyed being amongst and having fellowship with and being supported by such men. However, we see David's cry to the Lord for help because as he looked around, it was a time of crisis as the faithful covenant keepers were gone, either by death or desertion. Unbelief was alive and well amongst those that he called friend, as well as in society. Literally, the, the Hebrew says that David cried out to God, pleading with him to save, to deliver, O Lord. This is what the Hebrew word for help means. This is the kind of help that he sought from his covenant Lord. Isaiah spoke of such disappearance in Isaiah 57, verse 1. This isn't unique to David. The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. In Micah chapter 7, verse 2, Micah says, The faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net. Quite the turn of the tide in the faithful as they have fallen and struggle in sin. Therefore, how did David feel? He felt alone. He was like Elijah in 1 Kings 19, verse 14, when he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. They've caused all this sin and They've done all this wickedness, 
all this bloodshed. I'm, I alone am left, and they're coming after me too. Help, O Lord. Beloved, as many of the godly and faithful had either died or deserted the faith, the hard times got harder, David says. And, and what did the tragedy look like? Look at verse 2. They, they speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a, a double heart they speak. And so here is the opposite of faithfulness in godly speech. This is what the antithesis looks like. This is what the opposite is like. See the connection here, though, between the lips and the heart. The lips and the heart. What comes out of our mouths is from our hearts. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12, verse 34, teaches us. And so the people were engaged in saying empty lies to each other. The words that came from their lips were smooth and flattering, and therefore they were empty and lacked any truth. But yet they went down oh so good. They were sinful and meaningless. Those words were from a sinful heart, a, a double heart, David says. Literally, with a heart and a heart. They were hypocrites who lacked sincerity, who tried to pull the wool over the eyes of those that they sought to oppress. They will smile at your face and then cut your throat. This is what he saw. They would give the traitors kiss, like Judas. This adds to David's words about the wicked in Psalm 10, verse 7, a psalm that we considered not that long ago, where he said, His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. In Psalm 41, verses 5 and 6, he says, My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself when he goes out. He tells it. Beloved, we, we need to see all of this as David saw it. And we need to be on guard at all times, being mindful of the many and evil, even subtle ways that Satan tries to attack us. If we're honest, we are more aware and we are more watchful of the overt attacks, even the attacks of the tongue, than we are to the subtle ones. Flattery gets in oh so smoothly and so easily, for example, and it does so much damage on the inside. Satan often tries to deceive us. He tries to manipulate our thoughts and our minds with words that appear to be innocent on the outside, but have powerful influence in ungodly ways. And it corrupts us from the inside out. And considering this, what was David's plea? That God would execute judgment on liars and deceivers. That's really the core of what he got at. Look at verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. 
The judgment would take the form of cutting off, beloved, which paints a physical picture of a sword, perhaps, or a, a sharp knife cutting the lips off the face, or cutting the tongue out of the mouth, which actually in that portion of the world and oftentimes in that culture, that was one of the uh, sentences and actions taken toward liars. They would cut out their tongues. However, to be cut off is also to be put out of the camp or out of the covenant community, spiritually speaking. It can also mean to be put to death. David desired that God would quickly and thoroughly deal with the instrument that caused so much sin and pain. We've heard many of David's requests in the preceding Psalms, requests for judgment, requests for action, and definitive action from the living God against the wicked. But here we see specifically in regards to their tongues and to their speech. David prayed that God would silence them and crush their words. Silence them and crush their words. Remove the instrument by which they proclaim such wicked things. And as David describes the tongue speaking proud things, see a couple of things here. See how David identifies yet another part of our mouths that we all too easily sin with. Like the lips, the tongue and heart are connected. The tongue that speaks proud things or literally great things is fueled by a prideful heart. Again, those great things are not truly great and grand things in truth, but they are great things in pride puffed up, flowered up, made to look good and huge when they really aren't. James, you may know or recall, focuses on the dangers and poisons of the tongue in James chapter 3. I'd invite you to turn with me there if you'd like. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Let's look at his words in detail there. James chapter 3, verse 4. James begins by giving us metaphors to consider. Great and grand objects, animals, that are controlled by so little a member. He says in verse 4, Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. You see the picture there. The great and grand ships, it can't just be a little bit of a breeze or a light wind, and that, that boat would be expected to be guided or directed or moved in a certain direction by such a light wind. No, these are fierce winds. These are strong winds that would move these great ships, and yet they're steered the direction they take is by a little rudder. <laughs> Even so, he says in verse 5, the tongue is a little member, 
and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and it it sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, James says, these things ought not to be so. He asks an important question. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. This is not only a time of education that James gives us regarding the nature and the danger of the tongue, but it is also really a call for great self-examination of the heart from which the spring flows. The heart from which that tongue speaks Indeed, this is a war of words that David speaks of in Psalm 12. It's a war of words. And in this war of words, what does God use to silence the enemy? Notice this wonderfully. He uses his word to combat the evil words of the ungodly to bring glory to his name. In their arrogance... What did the wicked who surrounded David claim about their speech? Look at verse 4 of Psalm 12. Who have said, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our, Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Do you see the nature of the evil of the wicked here? They believe that they were in the right against David. They believed that their words would win the day. They would be successful in accomplishing their mission of destruction. They are their own masters, they thought. They claimed autonomy. They are lord over their own lips, they believed. And therefore, who would or even could restrain them or hold them to account? Here is the prideful heart of self, boasting and loudly proclaiming what it believes in its heart that is so far from the truth. They believe that no one could. No one could restrain them, truly, They would be successful. No one could hold them or would hold them to account. 
No one would tell them what to think or what to say. They would use those words to try to gain the victory against David, against God, against his people. And yet, what does God say? God would act. Look at verse 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. Beloved, God would and has gained the victory. God is not substandard or subpar or somehow unable to deal sovereignly with any and all wicked men. He has gained the victory in Christ, and he will protect his people. He is the great and the almighty defender of the poor and the needy. He protects the weak, and we are weak. We are taught in Scripture, but what also is true, he is strong. And that's the important connection that we need to see. In our weakness, we understand that reality and that truth. And in that weakness, we are pointed to him and his almighty strength. The wicked trusts in their own strength, which will fail. But we trust in the strength of Jesus Christ our Lord, for he fights for us and delivers us. And further, God is the one who sets us in safety in Christ Jesus. And notice that the safety that we yearn for is the very safety that God puts us in. He has truly put that yearning in our hearts. He has truly drawn us as we are fully and completely dependent on him. He has drawn us to yearn for the safe places that only he can provide. And that's in Jesus, ultimately. We are eternally safe in Christ. And praise the Lord for that. But in contrast to to the proud words of the wicked, David says in verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. In many ways, beloved, we read the passage and we read the words of the wicked and we're like, no, 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 this is, this is terrible, this is sinful, this is against God. It, it's grotesque, it, it's not the way that it should be. It's damaging, it's painful, it's hurtful. And then by glorious contrast, David shows us the wonderful purity of the Lord. And the beauty and and the purity of his words. Ah, glorious. Yes. We love the pure words of God. And we praise him for that purity. Indeed, God's words are pure. They are completely true, without deception. They are flawless and infallible. Here we have the inerrant and infallible holy word of God. And we praise him for this. We, we love this word. This is the word that heals, does not bring sin and destruction. 
God's words are like silver over and over again, even seven times, which is the number of perfection. They're like silver that is purified to perfection. The beauty of God's words is that they didn't have to go through the refiner's fire, though, to become pure. They have always been perfectly pure. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31, we read there, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven, and he is a shield to all who trust in him. And so understanding this, understanding the purity of God's words, there are important things that we need to know about his words. One, in such purity, they are completely sincere. What they communicate is meaningful. They're not empty and vain. They're not full of deception. They're not proud things. They don't boast of great things. They, they proclaim true things. But secondly, they are precious. And they have the highest value. And thirdly, the power and effectiveness of his words has never and will never disappoint. His word is powerful and sets the prisoner free, being united to the word, Jesus Christ. And not only are God's words pure, but David speaks of the reality then that God guards his people. Look at verses 7 and 8. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Beloved, it's so true that when vileness is exalted in our world, the proud and the, the prowl of the wicked surrounds us more and more. We can see it. We can hear it. We can feel it. Their howls and, and bites and nips become more intense, and yet take great comfort in your great God, the God who David trusted would preserve him and advance him to the throne. He is the same God who guards and preserves you even when you feel alone. Even when you feel alone in the pressing pack of wolves. And he will do so forever. And so as you seek to obey Christ's commands, guard your heart tonight and in the days ahead, and guard your tongue. Guard your lips. Never be fooled into believing that your tongue isn't full of poison and prone to sin. May your words be pure and meaningful, not empty. May they be full of truth, even God's truth, and not lies and deceit. Contrary to the wicked, may your words not be self-glorifying, but rather honor and glorify your Savior, Jesus Christ. But also, beloved, treasure and awe at the perfectly pure and powerful word of God. 
the perfectly pure and victorious word who is your Savior and Lord. We see this war of words, but we also see the great, the almighty, the sovereign, the pure, the righteous, the holy, and the living God, whose words are great and powerful, and indeed conquer and defeat all of our enemies and all of his enemies for his glory. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this great and wonderful encouragement that you provide in your word. We thank you for your revealing the reality and the truth and the danger that the wicked uh, make and, and put forth, but also that of our tongues. We also, Lord, praise you for what you show us regarding yourself. We praise you for your purity. We praise you for your power. We praise you for your holiness and might and your care for your people and protection of us. You truly are our refuge and strength. You are our solace, our strong tower. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that we truly find our rest in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.